Chapter One of Ruth Fielding at Brerewood Hall. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sonali Punja. Ruth Fielding at Brerewood Hall, or Solving the Campus Mystery by Alice B. Emerson. Chapter One, The Exodus. The sun was a regular lie-abed on this autumn morning, banked about by soft clouds and draperies of mist, but they glowed pink along the horizon, perhaps blushing for old Saul's delinquency. The mist hung tenderly over the river, too. Indeed, it masked the entire valley of the Lomano, lying thick and dank upon the marshes and the low meadows, but wreathed more lightly about the farmhouses and their outbuildings and the fodder and haystacks upon the higher ground. But suddenly the sun flung off the bedclothes and leaped right into the sky. That long, low bank of cloud that had been masking him melted away, and the shreds of mist were burned up in a hurry as his warm rays spread abroad, taking the entire valley in their arms. Farmhouses where the kitchen chimney smoke had been rising straightly into the air immediately put on a new bustle. Doors opened and shut. There was the stamping of horses in the stables as they crunched their corn. Cows lowed as the milk pails rattled. Sheep barred in their folds, and the swine, fearing that some other of the farm stock would get their share of the breakfast, squealed in eager anticipation. On a knoll by the riverside stood the rambling buildings belonging to Jabez Potter, who kept the red mill. The great wheel beside the mill end of the main structure had not yet begun to turn, but there was plenty of bustle about the pleasant house. The sun had scarcely popped up when a very pretty, bright-looking girl ran out upon the porch and gazed earnestly along the road that followed the Lomano toward Osago Lake. She looked out from under a shielding hand, for the sun was in her eyes. Around the corner of the house came a tall, dark-faced man, whose long jaws were cleanly shaven and deeply lined. His clothing was full of mill dust, and it seemed to have been ground into his face for so many years that it was now a part of the grain and texture of his skin. He did not smile at the girl as he said, you ain't looking for them yet, eh, you, Ruth? It's much too early. Help your aunt Alviry put breakfast on the table. She'll have it all to do when you're gone. The tone was stern, but the girl seemed to be used to it, for her face did not cloud over, and the smiles rippled about her mouth as she replied, I'm so full of happiness, Uncle Jabez, that you mustn't mind if I'm looking for Helen and Tom ahead of time. It doesn't seem possible that I'm actually going with them. It seems real enough to me, grumbled Jabez Potter. I hope you'll get enough out of it to pay us for all the trouble and cost of your going. That I do. But even this seemingly unkind speech did not ruffle the girl's temper. You wait and see, Uncle Jabez. You just wait and see, she said, nodding to him. I'll prove it the best investment you ever made. He didn't smile. Jabez Potter was not one of the smiling kind. But his face relaxed, and his eyes twinkled a little, 
I shan't look for cent per cent interest on my money, niece Ruth, he said and stumped into the house in his heavy boots. Ruth Fielding, who had come to the Red Mill only a few months before, having lost all other relatives but her great-uncle who owned the mill, ran into the kitchen too, where a little old woman with bent back and very bright eyes was hovering over the stove. The breakfast was ready to be served, and this little woman was pottering about, muttering to herself a continual complaining phrase, Oh, my back, and oh, my bones. Aunt Alvira Boggs, who was everybody's Aunt Alvira, but no blood relation to either Ruth or her uncle, was not a morose person, however, despite her rheumatic troubles. She smiled on Ruth and patted her hand as the girl sat down beside her at the table. Seems like we would be lost without our pretty little creature about, said Aunt Alvira. I don't see what the old house will do without her. I'll be home at Thanksgiving, if Uncle will let me, said Ruth quickly and glancing at the old man. And again at Christmas and at Easter. Why, the intervals will go like that. And she snapped her fingers. All this junketing up and down the country will cost money, niece Ruth, admonished Uncle Jabez. He was by nature a very close and careful man with money. A reputed miser, in fact. And that he did hold up money and loved it for itself must be confessed. When he had lost a cash box he kept in the mill containing money and other valuables, it had been a great trouble to Uncle Jabez. But through a fortuitous strain of circumstances, Ruth Fielding had recovered the cash box for him with its contents untouched. It was really because he considered himself in her debt for this act and that he prided himself upon paying his debts, that Uncle Jabez had come to agree that Ruth should go away to school. He had not done the thing in a niggardly way when he once gave his consent. Ruth's new trunk was at the Cheslow Railroad Station, and in it was an adequate supply of such frocks and necessities as a girl of her age would need in the school to which she was bound. Her ticket was bought too, and in her purse was a crisp ten-dollar note, both purse and money being a special present from Uncle Jabez. Ruth had learned that the miller was by no means as grim as he looked, and she likewise knew that now he was kindly disposed toward her and really was doing a great deal for her. She was determined to never be ungrateful to Uncle Jabez for satisfying the greatest longing she had ever had to go to Brerewood Hall, a boarding school. Suddenly, a young man put his head in at the kitchen door, grinned, and said, They are coming, Miss Ruthie. I see them up the road. Ruth jumped up at once and ran for her coat and hat. There, child, cried Aunt Alvira. You haven't eaten enough breakfast to keep a fly alive. Lucky I've got a good basket of lunch put up for ye. It will be a long journey by train, boat, and stagecoach. You'll be hungry enough before ye get there. Oh, my back, and oh, my bones, she added as she hobbled to the dresser for the luncheon box. Ruth flashed back into the room and cried to the youth on the porch, Is the car really inside, Ben? It's almost here, miss. Indeed, they could hear the purring of a motor car coming up the river road. 
Ruth flung her arms about Uncle Jabez's neck, although he did not rise from the table, where he was methodically putting his breakfast away, as though nothing unusual was happening. You've been a dear good uncle to me, she whispered, and I love you for it. I'll be careful of the money, and I'll get all the learning I can for the money you pay out. Now just you see if I don't. I ain't sure that it will do either of us much good, grumbled Uncle Jabez, and he did not even follow her to the door as she ran out. But Aunt Alvira hobbled after her and pressed her clothes before she would let the girl run down the walk. Blessings on ye, ye pretty creature, and she crooned over Ruth. I think of ye every moment year away. This is your home, Ruthie. Ye ain't got nary another. Don't forget that. And ye old Aunt Alviry will be waiting for ye here and just longing for the time when ye come home. Ruth kissed her again and again. Two excited young voices called to her from the automobile. Come on. Come on, Ruth. Do come away. She kissed Aunt Alvira once more, waved her hand to bashful Ben, who was Uncle Jabez's man of all work, and ran down to the waiting car. In the seat beside the chauffeur was a bright-looking, black-haired boy in a military uniform of blue, who seized her lunch basket and handbag and put them both in a safe place. In the tonneau was a plainly-dressed lady and a brilliantly pretty girl, perhaps a year older than Ruth. This young lady received the girl from the Red Mill rapturously when she sprang into the tonneau and hugged her tightly as the car started on. She was Ruth's dearest friend, Helen Cameron. It was her brother Tom in front, and the lady was Mrs. Murchiston, who had been the governess of the Cameron twins since their babyhood and was now to remain in the great house, Outlook, Mr. Macy Cameron's home as housekeeper while his son and daughter were away at school. For Tom was bound for Seven Oaks Military Academy, and that was only ten miles or so this side of Lumberton, near which was situated Brerewood Hall, the boarding school which was the girls' destination. Tom had attended Cheslow High School for a year, but Ruth and Helen were about equally advanced in their studies and expected to be both roommates and classmates at the hall. Ruth stood up in the car as it rolled up the hill toward Cheslow and looked back at the red mill. She fluttered her handkerchief as long as she could see the little figure of Aunt Alvira on the porch. Uncle Jabez came out and strode down the path to the mill. Then the car shot around a curve in the road and the scene was blotted out. How much was to happen to her before she saw the red mill again? End of chapter 1